0: Uh, What a wonderful study we have in the book of Colossians. Who's enjoyed it? Who's learned a lot from the book of Colossians? I have, certainly. um, As I prepare for this, and it's not the first time that I've preached through the book of Colossians. I've done it before. And I'll tell you what, every single time I preach through a book, there's something new that comes out. Every single time. And uh, I'm praying now for the next book. I've got two messages left in the book of Colossians. It's today and then next week, God willing, we will look. It's going to be a wonderful message next week because we look at the the faithful brethren that surround Paul and he's talking about them. He brings out their names. But today we're going to look at instructions to life or instructions for life. We're going to look at the next section in the book of Colossians. And this is what Paul writes down. On the back of all of the doctrine that he's given us in this letter. And all of the instructions that he's given. How to live. Last week we, we learned how to live as a marriage couple, didn't we? And did you apply this week? Well, I, I think the, the flowerists, they had to, to uh, get good business out of our church last week. I hope, men, I hope you, you bought some flowers last week. <laughs> okay, this week then, okay. <laughs> Peace offerings, you say. (laughs) But it's so wonderful that he touches every aspect of our lives. And today, as we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, from verse 2 to 6 onwards, we're going to see some last and final instructions that Paul gives to this church. And he gives the same to every church. Go and look in all of those letters and we'll touch on it. To each one of those letters, he, he does the same. He gives us some instructions. So let's get right into it. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. He says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in, in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains. You see, he was writing this letter while he was sitting in chains. That I may make it manifest As I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Walk in wisdom to those who are outside. Redeem the time. Let your speech always be with grace, always. Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's wonderful instructions, isn't it? Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word this morning. And Father, though I say nothing now, close the Bible, I know and I'm satisfied that Your Word has been spoken today in this church. And already the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, is convicting our hearts, just by what we've heard. Father, I pray now that You will touch my mind, my heart, Touch my lips, Father. Give me the vocabulary and the peace in my heart and and mind to speak your word in your anointing. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can actually say that this passage here from verse 2 to verse 6 here is the operational side of faith. How do we operate in faith? This is what Paul writes down here. And let me say to you that this needs to happen on a daily basis. This is not something that you can tick off for the week when you come to church on a Sunday. You see, that's how some people live their Christian lives. They just come here on a Sunday morning. We currently only have Sunday morning services. I'm praying the Lord and we might open up a midweek Bible study and a prayer and also maybe a Sunday evening service. But for now... You know, we are just here on a Sunday morning. Some people, some Christians believe that this is how they ought to live just for that one hour or two hours on a Sunday. Not this church, I say some. Because I believe this church lives like this the whole week and this is how it ought to be. That's the operational side. You see, I want to see your faith that you proclaim in your actions. This is what we need to see. Show us the proof. And what do they say the proof lies in there? In the pudding, yes. You taste the pudding and then you know it's good or not. And I love my pudding, brothers and sisters. But this is the whole thing. He, he says it coming right at the end of this letter, and he says there's a few things here which we need to do on a daily basis. It is operational. And look at this. Look at the words here. The action words in this passage. He says continue earnestly, continue. Continue is not lying on a couch and doing nothing. That's not continuing. It is an action. He's going to ask something of you. He says, be vigilant. You see that? Be vigilant. He says, walk in wisdom. When he says walk in wisdom, it means how you conduct yourself during the week with other people, with your own family members. Do it in wisdom. He says, redeem the time. Do you know that God is a meticulous counter? Do you know that? Every single second of your life, He counts for it. And you can't hide anything. You can maybe try to hide it for the tax collectors, but you can't hide it from God. He knows it in and out. And He says, redeem your time. So, in other words, it is important for a child of God to know what you do with your time. How do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? It's important, not to bring it back under the law, but he uses this in this operational side of faith. He says, let your speech always be with grace. Let your speech, in other words, when you think, when you talk, let it be with grace. Not flying off the handle, not getting irritated, not saying things that breaks down but things that builds up. It takes some effort, brothers and sisters. It's things to think about. This is how a Christian ought to be. This is how he ought to be daily. Not just for that one hour or two hours or when you're in front of people that you're trying to impress. It is every single time. And then he says, answer each one. If you call yourself a Christian this morning, a child of God, there is a responsibility, let me say that word again, there is a responsibility upon your shoulders to give the people out in the world answers of the faith that lives inside of you. The Bible nowhere teaches this concept of being an undercover Christian. Nowhere. Have you seen it anywhere? No, we stand out and people will come to you in any situation. But listen to me, if you conduct into all of the things mentioned above, you will be different than the world. You will be different than the world in how you live your life. And that will amaze the world. In a difficult time, this week, my brother, with your child. I mean, a child is, is so close to us. We are so emotionally attached to our children. We don't want them to see and to go through difficult things. But the way that you as a Christian couple conduct yourself in that thing, other people are constantly staring and looking in. If you are in the hospital and they ask you, what is your faith, and you fill out the form, the person who sees you fill it out and you say Christianity, immediately, immediately the magnifying glasses on your actions. They see how you react constantly. And you may not know it, but that person at that point in time of their life might be at the point of crisis in their Christian walk or in deciding whether they wanted to become a child of God. Can you see how serious this is? You see, we read through these verses and we go, yeah, yeah, he just says goodbye and he tells him a few things. No, it is so weighty. It is so heavy on us. And it is a daily thing. You can't put it off today and say, no, you know, I'm just going to slip this one through. The eyes of the world is upon us. Now look at Jesus when he said in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, he turned to the people and this is Jesus himself. He says, then he said to them all. If anyone desires to come after me, what do we need to do? Let him deny himself. And take up his cross often. Take up his cross often and follow me. No. Take up his cross daily. Take up his cross on a Sunday when he's in church. No. Take up His cross daily. Take up His cross when He wants to impress other people, other Christians. No. Come on, you know it by now. Take up His cross. Everybody say it. Daily. What is that cross? It is all of the above. It is living a Christian life. I think in the next couple of weeks I need to preach the sermon about Show your faith in your fruit that you bear. I think that's an important message. This is a constant thing. And especially, listen to me, especially when you go home to your loved ones and when you are at home. We get so easy to impress people outside of our homes that sometimes we can think, we think, we can do with our loved ones around us, our children, our wives, and we can just deal with them Differently. No. You see, Jesus came first for His own. And when they rejected Him, He went for the world. Isn't it right? In Psalm 86 verse 3, the psalmist say the same thing. He says, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you only on Sunday mornings. For I cry to you only when I want something. No, no. He says for I cry to you all day long. Wait a minute, you want to tell me that that I need to continue in prayer the whole day? Don't you know that I've got a job? I've got a day job to do? But you need to understand what prayer is, friend. Prayer is not just going on your knees for that hour in the morning. Prayer is a constant, a constant conversation with God. I pray the whole day. I get in my car and I pray. I have a conversation with God. They'll go, oh, he's off his head now, man. He talks to himself. No. Prayer life is in you. It's ingrained. It becomes part of your DNA. It's who you are. You talk to God on a daily basis. This is what he goes on here about. There's some actions that you need to do as a child of God. And they were thinking, oh wait, I'm on my way to heaven, shouting victory. I'm on my way to heaven, moving with a wheelbarrow. I'm on my way to heaven because the pastor needs to get me there. No way, it doesn't work that way. The day when you were saved, you got a responsibility to grow. Who's going to grow you? Me? No way, you grow yourself. By doing what? By reading your word, by listening to the messages, and by, listen to this now, talking to God through prayer. That's already really heavy teaching here this morning, isn't it, Lydia? (laughs) But we need to do it. Now look at this now. He says, continue earnestly in prayer. He uses a word there in Greek which is proskartirio Proskarterio, And I just want to lift this out to you because I want to show you something here. The word here means <coughs> to do something that is difficult. This word, proskartirio means to do something that is difficult. Who knows that praying constantly is difficult? Let no man come and tell you it just comes like that. Yes, by time as you grow in the Lord, yes, it becomes like that. You start. But in the beginning, it's difficult to pray. It's the easiest thing that people neglect is prayer. Let me tell you that. It's the easiest thing. He says it is something that is difficult with great passion, it's to do that difficult thing with great passion and perseverance until you master it, until you master it. We use two words in English to describe this. We haven't got one word to describe it. We use two words, the word continue earnestly, and that's the best that we can afford in English. That's why I love the word, the Greek language so much. They've got one word, Kylie. One word. They say if if Paul would stand here this morning and he talk, and if he falls my spot here and he speaks Greek, which I can't, I can just work on words here, Janelle. If he stands up here and he would talk to you guys here, he would say this word, and I think he would say it like this: "Proskaterio." And you would say, Oh, What does that mean?" It means continue earnestly. It is something which is difficult. But there's two things that makes this up Passion and perseverance. That's what you need in prayer. Passion and perseverance. You see, passion grabs the intentions of your mind. Have you ever done something passionately? All of us has. And you know what? If you do something passionately, you see every single fine detail of what you do. Go and test yourself next time. If you're passionate about something, man, there's nothing that slips your mind. Nothing. You, you are so intentive. You are so awake. You're in the moment. You can. I'm so passionate. There's nothing that's going to... This is how he says your prayer life should be. But some people, and I think this is where he's going to, they'll pray, and they'll, oh, I've got to pray for an hour. Oh! For an hour. Whoa! And then you start praying. and then, uh, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, five minutes. Oh, I thought I was praying for an half an hour there. You see, but if it's passionately, an hour just goes like that. His own disciples was caught by this, wasn't it? Remember when He went into Gethsemane? Uh, How long is this going to be? I didn't sleep last night. was it terrible... You know... He's still praying. And what happened? They fell asleep. They were not continuing earnestly. They were not proscaterioing in their prayer time. And He came back to them and He said to them, Be awake, be watchful, pray. Friends, I can preach for an early... You know what? I can just go on and on and on about prayer. Because prayer is vital for the child of God. You can read your Bible but you need to pray as well. We teach it to our children in Sunday school. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. And you will grow, grow, grow. If you want to grow as a child of God, read your Bible and pray. And this is what it is. It's with passion and perseverance. The word perseverance that comes into that, it is to add This to strengthen your faith on a daily basis. You need to continue on and on. Look at Luke chapter 18 verse 1. Then He spoke a parable to them. This is Jesus. And in this parable He says that men ought to pray and not lose heart. (coughs) It's constantly, isn't it? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16... He says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I'm in a singing mood this morning. You know what we've done? We've heard somebody putting that to a song. That word there, rejoice and pray without ceasing. And we sing that song. And I think we need to sing it more. I mean, the thing is, you know, if you think about this, in the, in the, in the, in the um, traditional writings, if you think about James, who write our letter in, your, in, in the book, Jesus' his brother, you know what they called him, his nickname? Traditional writings tells us this, old camel knees. He prayed so many times on his knees, they say, that he's, he had calluses on his knees. That's how, how he prayed. But what about this? Let me just throw this in for you. I want to open up, in, if you've got your Bible... In Acts. I was thinking about this this morning, so I haven't got it on the board. I couldn't, hadn't had enough time to, to put it on the board for you. But I want to show you the importance of prayer. Paul writes this to the church in Colossae. So I want to take you now back when he was saved on the road of Damascus. Remember, this man was a Pharisee. What did Pharisees do? They were known to pray, isn't it? Jesus even come to them and says, Don't be like the Pharisees who stand on the corners and pray these long prayers to impress people. Paul was one of those. But I want to suggest that Paul didn't have a prayer life when he was a Pharisee. He only prayed when he had to pray when he came into the synagogues. And everybody would say, Wow, this man of prayer, but he wasn't a man of prayer. He just came there and he prayed. Why? Because he was caught up in a religion. But man, I find something interesting happened when he had an encounter with Jesus. Look at this now. In Acts, and we look at chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9 from verse 1 to verse 9, we find how he got that encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And the the Lord spoke to him. And then what happened? He was struck with blindness. Blindness. And then he was taken away. And in verse 10, he says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Now listen to this. So the Lord said to him, (coughs) This is to Ananias. He says, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus For behold, who's got their Bible open? What does it say? He is praying. praying. This This made an impression on God. I know that God had in His infinite plan, a plan with Paul. I know that. But you know what is so amazing here? Before this, when we read about Paul, we don't read about Paul praying, do we? Here we have an encounter with God. And here it is said out loud by God Himself to Ananias. He says, I want you to go to Straight Street, Judas' house, Paul of Tarsus. You know this guy. He's there. And guess what he's doing? He is praying. He is praying. And I believe, because after that, Ananias says, But Lord, he's killing all these people. How shall I go there? I'm afraid of this man. And God says, No, go. And he went. But I think the thing that also stands out for Ananias is the fact that this man was a prayerful man. And now, after the cross, Paul, in all of his letters, all of his letters, he says, I've been praying for you, and I want you to pray. Did you see the importance of prayer here? It is standing out that Paul was praying. <coughs> Excuse me, he says now in verse 2, he says there, how, how should we pray? He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant. Do you know what being village vigilant means? You know, you want to get to that end line, and how should we do it? We do it in thanksgiving. Isn't that how we should do it? You know, I listen to some people's prayer, and their only prayer is this. Oh, Lord, give it to me, Lord, and this. No, no. We need to be thanksgiving to God. We thank the Lord for what He's done to people we pray for. We need to be <clears throat> coming to the Lord with thankful hearts. You see, some people come to God and, uh, and, and they, they do the following. You know, they say, many Christians believe in prayer is a way to get God to give you what they want. Oh Lord, I need this. I want this. And then they start praying. Isn't it true? I've seen it over my life. This is the only time when they will start praying. If people, let me tell you, I'm, I'm not telling you this because I've read it in a book. I've experienced what I'm telling you out of the experience of pastoring a church for so many years. When people go through difficult times, your phone number is the one that they are looking for. Oh, pastor, please pray for me. My son is going through difficult... my Now I need God. Now I need Him. And you know, people think that this is how they can manage God. We'll manage you, God. When it's going well in their lives... Oh, who's God? When it's going well in their lives, there's not even one time they hit their knees before God and prayed to Him. But man... When it's going tough, when your job is in, in line or anything, then, then we want to call on to God and we want to tell Him like a nagging child. Praise becomes like a nagging child then. Oh Lord, please remember, remember that you said you will bless me, but Father, this thing now here, oh Lord, please remember what you... Is, is, is that how we should go to God? No. He says we go with thanksgiving to the Lord. Our attitude should be an attitude of thanksgiving. Listen to me this morning. Even when things in your life is not going the way that you want them, thank the Lord for that. What are you saying? Even when things aren't going the way that it should go in my life, I should thank the Lord? Yes. Because, friend, nothing will happen to you if you're a child of God if he doesn't carry carry God's uh, uh, permission for that. You say, wait a minute, I'm going through this difficult time and God knows about it? Yes. You say, wait a minute, I'm going through this difficult time and God knows about it and He decides not to do something right away? Yes. You say, wait a minute, I'm going through this difficult time and God knows about it, doesn't do nothing about it, and He wants me to continue? Yes, yes. And, and wait a minute. You you, you know that God, you know, uh, and you want me to be thankful about it? Yes. Because, friends, when you go through difficult times, God builds your character in your faith. It's your reliance on Him. I I had somebody come to me once and he says, yeah, I don't pray. I said, are you a child of God? Yeah, no, I don't pray. Because God chosen us before the foundation of the world. And you know what? I'm already there. And I don't have to talk to Him. He already knows what I want. It's like my children. I know what they want. I give Him what they want. I said, no, friend, how poor are you? Prayer is a conversation with God. So you don't go back to God and say thank you at all. So you just expect God needs to drop into your bucket and then drop in, drop in. And and I said, no, you know what? You you think that you're like a small little brat in God's family. He hasn't got any brats. No, no, we go to God and we pray and we thank Him for everything in our lives. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. You see, we sing that song. It is scripture, and this is how we ought to live. Some people pray this prayer. They say, Lord, if you can only do this for me in my life, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Have you heard that? Have you prayed that? I have in my life. Before I knew a little bit better, Glenn, I prayed that prayer. Oh, I needed something, man, and I couldn't even remember what it I think it was a car or something. Oh lord, this is the most beautiful car in the world. Lord, if only you will allow the banks to approve this loan, I will serve you for the rest of my life. That's a selfish prayer. This is what it is all about. No, no. You see, we need to give thanks and we need to pray for others. This is what he says. He's continue earnestly in prayer giving thanks, and while pray for us as well. Why did he pray for them that God might open a door for the gospel to be preached? That's a good prayer for you. Lord, I pray that you open the door for Paul <coughs> so that he can preach the gospel. He's sitting in chains, he says, and now he says that I make it manifest, manifest as I ought to speak. He was sitting there in jail chained to a Roman soldier and he says he wants the boldness to speak the word of God even to these people. And it's so wonderful. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, listen to this now. Paul again, he writes to the church in Philippians, he says, Be anxious for nothing. Oh man, that says a lot, isn't it? How anxious are we oftentimes for a lot of things? What is the opposite of anxiousness? He continues on there. He says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? With thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And what will happen then? What will happen if you come to God with a thankful heart? What will happen if you thank God and and with supplication to Him? He says it right there. And the peace of God, of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. Where is your help coming from? From Christ Jesus. Where is Jesus right now? Send the right hand of God. What is the right hand of God? The authority hand of God. That means that Jesus Christ can speak a word into your life and so it will be. Who believes that? Now, this doesn't make sense to the world. This is why the world looks on the Christian when he's in his darkest hours of his life and he still stands there with a peaceful demeanor. And people go, I can't understand it. You ought to fall apart now, but you are so peaceful. You want to know why? You want to know what the secret is? Here it is. The peace of God is in that man or in that woman. They are operating in the peace of God. How do they get the peace of God? It is not something which drops like a drop from heaven on the earth and ping, and now it... No, no, no. The peace of God comes through what? Read your Bible, pray every day, and God... And it starts, first of all, at the cross of Christ. First you need to come to the cross and submit your life to Him. First you need to become a child of God through repentance. And now you grow into that peace. He gives you His peace. And I love this. He says it will surpass all understanding. I can't get it why you Christians are so happy. Happy, happy. You want to know why? Because we operate in the peace of God. Isn't it wonderful? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, he repeats the same thing. He says, rejoice always. And we've got a song like that as well, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in who? In the Lord. And what will He give you? The peace. And what will the peace do? It surpasses all understanding. Pray without ceasing, He says there. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now I just want to make this point quickly for you. If you see the word, sometimes you read about Jesus Christ, where Jesus is in front of Christ. Have you seen that in the Bible? That points to when Jesus was still on the earth walking. But when he changes it around to Christ Jesus and put Christ in front of Jesus, it points to Jesus after the resurrection and after he has seen it on eye. You say, why why, why are you getting so excited about it, preacher? Because of this. In my darkest hour, in my most happiest hour, when I give thanks to God, the prayer goes to whom? The high priest who's the interceder between me and the Father, and he sits at the right hand. He's not on the earth anymore. He's not in the grave. He was resurrected. He ascended on high, and now he sits at the right hand of God, the seed of authority, so that when I come to him with supplications, guess what? He's got the authority. To answer my prayer. How wonderful is that? Just a switch of a word, isn't it? Christ Jesus. How wonderful is that? Let me quickly uh, move on. The second thing he says is lies in your actions. Instruction. It is the to do. It's like they say in the world where the tire reaches the, reach the road. Hits the road. Colossians 4 verse 5. He says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time who's the outsiders it's the world it's the world and it's so true this is the words that come from ephesians chapter 5 as well paul writes it to them into the church in ephesus he says see then that you walk circumspectly that means attentively not as fools but as wise people redeeming the time because the days are evil who knows that so in an evil days, you need to redeem your time. Why? Because God counts your time. He knows what you do with it. But He says, walk in wisdom. So this means where you go and study at the university, where you're amongst your friends, when they're not believers, where you're in your workplace, walk with wisdom. The wisdom that comes from Him. Jesus said it Himself. He said in Matthew chapter ten verse sixteen, Remember, he says, Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Have you ever seen that? Would you do it? Would you take a few sheep and you, you see the pack of wolves over there and you say, Hey, your ten sheep, I'm going to send you in there, in amongst them. Guess what's going to happen? They're going to eat you. They're going to devour you. No, no. He sends them in there and they, so He says, Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Be wise as serpents. This is how we ought to walk with the people around us. Be wise. We don't go in there and in foolishness throw the pearls of God before the swine as I see so many people do. Wait for the opportunity. Because at some stage they are going to ask you something about the peace that was inside of you and then you ought to tell them what it is. But do it in wisdom. Do it in total wisdom. And then we finish this morning with the talk. He gives instructions. First he says pray earnestly. Then he says to them walk the walk in wisdom. Be clever how you walk as a child of God. And then he, the talk. And I want to spend a little bit more time on the talk. Because we all love to do that, don't we? We love to talk. He says in verse 6, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. There are four kinds of conversations that we take place in. Four kinds. First of all, uh, uh, um, general, sorry, that needs to be a two. There's a general conversation. This is what we have at home and at work, isn't it? I mean Christians come together and they ask how's the weather doing? People who love sport will come together and talk about their sport teams. And let me tell you this morning there's nothing wrong with that. I've had somebody once preach about how what a sin it is to to have sport in the world and, and how what a sin it is to talk. No, we are people, we're living in the world. We're not cut off from everything. There's politics going on around us, isn't it? Are you talking about politics that's happening around you? Of course. We're living in this world. Again, be wise amongst the world. It doesn't say we can't talk about it now. Politics happens. Who knows about the economy? Who talks about the economy? Nobody in this church. No. Oh no, brother. We just talk about the Bible. 24-7. No, we live in this world. People talk about the economy. People ask about their finances which they can invest. What's wrong with that? If that takes... A, a, a place above God that's where the error comes and the love for money is the problem here not money itself and, and people talk about a variety of things and, and in these conversations we have them and then we have faith conversations we have them at home when you talk at home to your children about the Bible or your children but we also talk here at church about it don't we we may talk more about it at church faith conversations now these conversations is important for us and this is what we do Uh, and we use faith conversations to teach and to train. But there's also five things, ways of talking to each other. And this is, I'm coming to a point here, this is what we do. There's five ways of speaking. First of all, we can do dictating. Have you been in that situation? Where you tell somebody to do something. And in all of this, all of this, Paul says, Let your speech be with grace. So when you dictate, he says, look, sometimes you're going to be in a position where you have to go to somebody and say, I want you to do this. That's dictating. Now it's how you do it. You can go over to people and say, I want you to do this and I want you to do it now. Are you going to do it? Of course I'm going to do it. Straight away. (laughs) I'm out of the blocks when you say it to me like that. But what is it building inside of me? resistance. Or I can come over to you and say, can you please help us and do that? That's a dictating as well. And then there is debate, and debate is good. It's giving opposing views, and we have to do that. Everybody in this place has got a view. I mean, everybody looks at me out of different eyes. Everybody's got a view and an opinion about me. You've got an opinion about this building. You've got an opinion about vehicles. You walk out of there and I say, man, gee, I love this Toyota which is standing over You go, no, I don't like Toyotas. Now, let's have a debate over that. Tell me your views and why you don't like it, and I'll tell you why. That's a debate. We have that. And then also discussions. Now, that's an open conversation, it's similar to a debate, but it's a little bit more open, okay? Debates can be a little bit confrontal. Uh, open discussions is a little bit more wider. And then we have deliberating. Uh, that's when we have to make a decision, and we need all parties to come together. Now we deliberate. We, we accommodate people. We compromise a bit to come to a point. We're all conducting this on a daily, maybe weekly basis. And then we have dialogue. Yes? exploring one another, I want to know more about you, you tell me more about you, and so we dialogue, all of these things happen, now in all of this in all of this Paul comes and he says, let your speech always be with grace when you do the debating when you do the dictating be with grace, seasoned with salt, that's why I enjoyed your testimony this morning so much, Robin that's why when you sat down and you wrote out that little eulogy and you sent it on and the people accepted it, I, could, I didn't read it, but I can just imagine if it's so accepted by the people, it must have been with grace and it was with seasoning of salt. This is how we ought to live. Our biggest problem in life is what this tongue can do. James writes a whole passage about it. And it is so important. I want to Talk about seasoned with salt. Salt. In Mark chapter 9 verse 49, Jesus says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, because we know that fire purifies, and every (coughs) sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its favor, how will you season it? Have salt uh, in yourselves and have peace with one another. You know what we use salt for? You put it into your food, isn't it? Otherwise it's bland. We're going to have soup a little bit afterwards. It's the first Sunday for soup. Praise God. <laughs> we couldn't, yeah, we've waited for the soup day. The soup kitchen is open after church. But you know what? Each one of us is going to have our soup and we're going to drink it. And to your taste, listen to me, to your taste it might be bland or there might be too much salt in So what do we do when we make the soup? We don't put a lot of salt in. So everybody's on the same level. So you can then go and take your own salt and put it into your taste. So the Bible says we shouldn't be bland, but we need it to be salt. We need it to be in our speech. We need to bring with whatever we say and whatever we do, we need to bring that that taste into it. But salt back in the day was also used for... To preservance against corruption. That's why they used salt back in the day. They didn't have refrigerators. I've got a brand new Westinghouse fridge. And the only reason is because the first one was replaced by an insurance claim, okay? There you go. But I've got a brand new one, and it works perfectly fine. I don't need to preserve stuff with salt anymore because I put it in there and for a couple of days. It's going to be fine. They didn't have a Westinghouse back in the day. But they had salt to stop corruption And this is what it is in this passage here. In Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine, it says, "Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers." Remember, in all of these things we do, he says, "Let your words be like salt, like your letter. It's seasoning." But it's used here also in light of teaching. Because look at how he put it there. When he put it to us, he says, Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So when you talk to people, it's, it's seasoned, and it's also part of the seasoning. 1 Peter chapter 3.15 He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you. How? with meekness and with fear. I say whenever people go out on the streets and they want to do street preaching, this needs to be their verse. Meekness and fear. Fear of whom? Fear of the Lord. It is not your hope, it's God's hope. It's not your peace, it's God's peace. We need to do it in meekness and fear. So there you have this morning three things that Paul presses upon us. First of all, continue earnestly in prayer. Do it so, I know it's not something, some people might not be prayer, but keep on doing it with passion and perseverance, and you will master prayer. And it's not something which you master and tick the box. Friends, honestly, in my life, (coughs) I pray to God. I pray for each one of you. Every week, every one of your names, I call before the Lord. There's some people who's already moved on out of the church, but I still call their names before the Lord. I go before Him, I say, Lord, Father, I'm thinking about bread this week, Lord. I just put His name before You. I don't know what He's going through this week. But You know, Lord. Why do I do that? Is it because God doesn't know what's going on in His life? No, He knows everything. I said it before. It's not as if God is sitting on His throne, and you know, He's slumbering away, and, and He goes, Oh, I'm just going to take a rest. And... And then all of a sudden he he woke up and there you go and something happened. You're like, oh no, what happened to him? God doesn't sleep, friends. He knows everything that happens in your lives. But when I go to him and I mention your prayer to him, you know why I do that? It's because I love you with the love of the Lord. And I said, Lord, these people are so important to me. I want to bring their names before you for this week. Maybe they're going through a difficult, I don't know. This is why we pray. This is why we bring it to Him in prayer. Look at Paul. He prayed for people that he didn't even know in areas. He says, Lord, I'm going to preach in that area and I want to already pray for those people. Secondly, we need to walk in wisdom. And then finally, let our speech be, uh, like He says it here, always with grace and seasoned with salt. Amen? Is that good advice? Let's pray. Can somebody call... um, my lovely wife, and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank You this morning for Your Word, which is living, it is powerful, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And Father, this morning, as Paul gave us the Word, how we ought to live, final instructions, Father, to this church, but also to us, I want to pray and ask You, Lord, help us to pray earnestly.